presented. I'm just going to give a little bit of an introduction before the reading, which Judy's going to read for us. We're focusing on the, on the names of God. And Kathleen, I need to borrow you to pronounce uh, the Jehovah. Uh, but Jehovah Mekadishkem, or as I was, um, I learned a, a shorter version, Mekadesh, when I was, uh, it's much easier to say that. But it's uh, the God who sanctifies. And sanctify, um, this is a Hebrew word translated is to be made holy or to be set apart as holy. So um, that's the theme. So just imagine God who's completely holy that wants to make us like him. And um, some of you might remember when I preached on on Acts, a really easy passage. I think it was Ananias and Sapphira, one of those sort of whoopee passages. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I remember using the metaphor of holiness as being the power of the sun and the radiance of the sun. And without the sun, uh, I mean, it gives light and life. But anything that comes close to it, it's a scary thing that would be impure or doesn't have, not that we could ever have the right sort of protection to get near to the sun, but in terms of God's holiness we can because we can be clothed in the cloak of Jesus, if, if you like. But anything impure gets burnt up. So the reason I'm speaking before we have the Bible passage today uh, is because we've um, been very selective about the verses that we've chosen today. And it only makes sense... Um, if we understand some of the stuff that's around it. So uh, we wouldn't need to be sanctified if we were completely holy. True? So we wouldn't need Jesus, the sanctified, be wasting his time completely. If he turned up a Holy Trinity church, he found a completely sorted church. Now I'm looking around, I'm not being rude, but that is not our condition, is it? Uh, in, the, in the passage as well, it talks about Old Testament law, which is good and holy and pure, and we measure up against it. But there's one or two things um, that the people of Israel were doing at the time that were far from holy and deserved death. So the passage talks about child sacrifice and abuse. The passage also talks about consulting mediums and spirits, and the punishment was death. Harder for us to hear, and thankfully things have shifted a little bit, but I think dishonouring your father and mother and what incurses on them in the Old Testament was deserving of death. I look at my own life, the life of my children, the life of this congregation, and I fear that there'd be a few of us missing if the Lord carried that one through. So in the midst of this, and I'll explain it a bit more of God being holy, and we're a work in progress that he's committed to, let's hear these words from Scripture. So today's reading is from Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, and then 22 to 24. 
and it's on page 123 of the Bibles. So Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. And then verse 22. Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them, so that the land where I am bringing you to may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I'm going to drive out before you. Because they did all these things, I abhorred them. But I said to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has set you apart from the nations. This is the word of the Lord. This idea of um, consecration, I think it's a really powerful image. Um, the Lord wants all of us, warts and all, to be offered to him and dedicated to him. Like we can't follow Jesus only with a little bit of ourselves. We follow him with all of ourselves. And he invites us um, as we turn to him in faith to give our full selves to, to his, his sovereignty. And he consecrates us. And we're a work in progress. We use the baptism pool for the first time today. Um, I think that's a really powerful image of God consecrating our whole selves. And um, when we're baptized, God does all sorts of things. He cleanses us. He anoints us. He, he, he assures us of, of his love. He marks us with the Holy Spirit. We're his for keeps. And we die to stuff. And we're changed and we're raised in a different way. And, and metaphorically speaking, um, I would imagine that we leave quite a bit of dross and worse at the bottom of the pool. Now, when I was, um, gave myself fully to the Lord, it was quite a hard work because I thought I had to live up to God's holy standard. And um, I could manage it for a little bit. But it's hard work, isn't it? It's a real, real struggle. And I'll talk about this a little bit later, but no more than can we become holy in our own efforts. We can't continue to be holy in our own efforts. The only way that that can happen is with God's help and his covering. But I'll, I will come back to that. So we're God's chosen people. We're set apart and we're called to live holy lives. Now it's not going to be quite like Jesus, but it jolly well needs to be similar to Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. It means that we're set apart. It means that we're still making mistakes, but in a process of being transformed. Um, I didn't know this book, but some of you will know the Chronicles of Narnia. And you might even be able to tell me what book five was. No? Here goes. I didn't know. Um, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I think it's a powerful 
image, stay with me, of what it means to come to faith and the process of sanctification. So when I say Eustace, put your own name in there. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from this time forth, Eustace dot 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 you was a different boy, a different child. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days where he could be very tiresome. But most of those, this is God speaking, I shall not notice. The cure had begun. Are you different? Can others tell the difference? Could people genuinely say, Patrick, the cure has begun? Jesus' holiness, it's a bit, doesn't roll off the tongue, is more reflected in me today than it was yesterday. In the metaphorical fire of God's holiness, I hope that we between us will be presented as more precious stones rather than an abundance of chaff. It's a slightly different Bible passage that I'm referring to there. But that's the call. The call for us to be gleaming and reflecting God's glory rather than to be obscured and I suppose um, consumed as chaff. I've got three points um, today um, on sanctification. The first one, being sanctified is God's work, not ours. The second, sanctification requires us to be willing to work with God, the Holy Spirit. And the third and really annoying one is sanctification is a complex, lifelong journey. But actually it has a very good outcome for those of us who are hidden in the holiness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So firstly, being sanctified is God's work, not ours. Being holy, being made holy, it sounds impossible really at one level. And we sort of struggle to believe that sometimes, but church, it's really important to know that we are because of what Jesus has done. But that's not the only bit that we need to know this morning. But that's a really important bit. If you never clock on to that, we're on a hide into nothing, basically. So what's our job and what's God's job? Notice the promise, he says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Jehovah Mekadishkem, Jehovah Mekadesh. I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. God is doing the sanctifying work. He's making us holy. We're not doing it through our own efforts. He sets us apart. We belong to him. He begins a transforming work and it continues until its completion. We're sanctified. Romans 15, 16 says, by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. John 15 and Hebrews 10, apart from what Jesus did for us on the cross, our efforts are as good as useless. Today, I invite us, I suppose, to submit, to consecrate ourselves afresh. It's probably a daily practice, although I forget, to the one who is holy and the one who's able to sanctify us. And the one that looks at us and he actually delights in us and he knows exactly what we're like. Two, sanctification requires us to be willing um, to work with God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's begun a good work in us. He's going to continue it to completion. Um, We're not called to be passive in this process. So whilst God has done the amazing work, um, it's not okay just to slouch around and twiddle our thumbs and to turn our back on him and all these other things or to to be content um, with the work that's begun, that's not completed. There's a bit more to be done and we need to work with him um, under the promptings of the Holy Spirit to identify those things so that we might be changed. Um, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue holiness. This is an active following of Jesus. This is an active desire to be more like Jesus, which we can't do on our own, but he's not going to force it on us. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for instruction and in righteousness that we may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Knowing what is right, knowing what is holy, doesn't mean that we necessarily do what is right and be what is holy. We have free will. But if we cooperate with God, he can work miracles in our lives. I just want to say that old sinful habits die hard. And I'll come back to this a little bit later, but there's stuff for us to do. But Leviticus 20 says this, Consecrate yourselves, be holy like me, keep my statutes and follow them. Verse 22, keep all my degrees and laws and follow them. Verse 23, you mustn't live according to the customs of the nations I'm going to drive out before you. And if we flipped to the New Testament and Romans 12, so familiar these verses, but therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so he's done it all, to offer your bodies, your whole selves, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, perfect, and pleasing will. We will become more and more like Jesus, but we are a work in progress. So thirdly, my third point, sanctification is a complex, lifelong journey, but it has a good ending because 
Jesus has got there and he's going to take us there too. Um, When we ask Jesus to forgive us our sins, he does so immediately. Our sins, past, present and future are covered, but that's not an excuse for us to go on sinning and doing things that are just simply not right. Salvation is immediate, but sanctification is a process. God in Jesus has shown us how to live. God's holy standards are perfect. I've been um, really wrestling with this. Um, So if we can imagine a measure that's completely out of our reach, that's the holiness of God. So even if we could get on each other's shoulders as high as we could possibly do, in terms of us measuring up to God's holiness, imagine that image of the sun. There's absolutely no chance at all that we're going to do this. But God has promised to raise us to that standard. The problem I have is that when I look at my own life and my look at the church, I know, if you imagine a graph going on the top line, which is complete perfection and holiness and sanctification, we're sort of charting as a process. God, who began a good work in us, is going to get us to that point. I assumed that me, a reasonably mature mature Christian, as I go along this journey with Jesus, all of a sudden I'm being raised up to his level of holiness. It's going to be quite a nice curve patch when we look at this one, you know, under the Lord's gaze, and we're going to get there, and it's going to meet there. And when I meet him face to face, I'm going to be completely holy. But the truth is, when I reflect on the curve, it's not like that at all. And when I look out to the church, it's not like that at all. It's not a straight, smooth line. It's a jagged line, and sometimes it goes very, very deep and very, very sad. Yesterday, I was in a conference here, the Restored Conference, and it was focusing on the church, is the Christian conference, of abuse against women and abuse in families. And the sickening truth is that the statistics for the church are not much different from the statistics of the world around us. And worse still... We've taught theologies that have made that okay to oppress women and turn a blind eye to things. It's not okay. Now I quote a very extreme example there, but you need to hear this, and I'm really sorry because I know I'm going to be saying this in a context where some of you might be traumatized for hearing, hearing this, but I'm in a dilemma here. Because I'm accused as a Christian leader, on the one hand, of keeping silent about these sorts of things. And on the other hand, if you mention such things, it stirs up deep things inside people. Let's put the area of abuse, physical, mental, sexual abuse, to one side for a few moments. But it happens in the homes of some of the parishioners of Holy Trinity Church and people that worship here. And it needs to stop. There are other things in our lives that I have to throw a lens at myself, my behaviours and things that I do that are just simply not okay. And all of us on this journey towards holiness, and it's covered by the Lord Jesus Christ, need to be aware of this too, that there's work to do. 
And God wants a church that behaves differently, that's distinctively different from the world around us and reflects Jesus' truth and light and holiness. And he can do this and he's committed to do it, but he can only do it if we give ourselves fully to him and say, Lord, I just can't do this on my own. I need your help. Oh, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Will you put around me some people that can help me to overcome this well-worn pattern of sin and selfishness? I've been on a journey for a few years. It was slightly poo-pooed in the church when we did it, but it's around emotional health and emotional well-being, like it's not biblical enough. The truth is, the truth is that how we behave and treat people, it's already, it's all, I'm going on a bit here. We can have all the wonderful head knowledge in the world. I can do a Bible quiz and test you on it and you might get full marks, but unless these things are reflected in our lives and God help me and God help you, what's the point? I have to ask some questions about what makes me me and how certain things are not sanctified. And I think um, just examining my own family history and my upbringing, there's probably a few clues there. But I have to wake up to what they are and it's not okay to behave like that anymore. The sad thing is that I've brought my children up And if I've done any damage, it's probably already happened. But praise God, I think I've done some good things too. So we mustn't be too hard on ourselves. It's not okay to speak harshly to our children or our wives. I'm going to change the tone slightly of my talk but it's going to be on the same theme. Any of you got a piano? Does it need tuning? It matters what note you tune it to. When we were had a very young family, even before my oldest boy was old enough to um, play a piano. He was desperate for a piano. They could have asked for a little trike or something like that. He got that as well. We got a piano. The problem with a piano is it had to be tuned from time to time. We had a guy called Richard Vernon. He used to come round. It used to cost us a few bob. And he used to tune the piano. I was chatting to someone at eight o'clock. Catherine knew actually that this isn't the right tune or tone to tune a piano. Does anyone know what note you have to use to tune a piano? Brilliant. This is an F. Imagine that A is Jesus and F is something different. Maybe F's my background and my well-worn 
ideas that aren't so great. I could choose to tune them to my own fanciful desires about what was appropriate. But if we choose an A, from there, our piano tuner used to be able to tune the whole of the piano. I think just with one tuning fork, is that right? That's possible to go from one tuning fork to tune the whole piano. It's a metaphor for our lives and for the church. But what's also interesting about Richard is that he brought his tuning fork into the heart of our home. That could be a metaphor for bringing the life and the holiness of Jesus right into the centre of our lives and an invitation for us to align to that particular tune, but just not us as individuals, but my whole household. We've got some of that right, and we've messed up on some, but God's not done with us yet. With this particular tuning fork, Richard used to go into lots of people's homes. Maybe other members of the church family, if they chose to tune their piano to this particular note, then their piano would be okay. If people choose to tune their lives to the Lord Jesus, we're going to be okay. Ultimately, we will all get to play this tune, but you get to choose whether you live your life in discord or with God's loving help. He is the Lord who sanctifies. So this is a tough message this morning. And it's not about guilt-inducing or anything. But we've received this precious gift of holiness from the Lord. And the invitation for each and every one of us is with his help to move towards that perfect pitch. All of us have got work to do. But hear this, the Lord doesn't sit with the tuning fork looking down in judgment on us. He looks down in love and longing that we cooperate with him. I'm going to read some words from Galatians 5 because I want this to be practical rather than theoretical. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This is verse 13 of Galatians 5. But do not use your freedom in Christ to indulge in the flesh, the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by one another. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict 
with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And there's a long list here. And if these things are too severe, just hear that sin is sin, so it doesn't have to be on the list. The acts of the flesh, the sinful nature, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. The good news is that our holy God is not done with me or you yet. When we recognize and confess our ungodly thoughts and actions, have a desire to be changed, the Lord who sanctifies will transform us. We're a work in progress. The Lord who sanctifies will complete his good work in us. The wonderful news is that Jesus is committed to making me and you holy like him. The invitation with his help is for, to, for him to accelerate that transforming process.